You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and I am so excited to introduce you to Dr. Stephanie Reinold. She is a board-certified integrative psychiatrist and women's mental health expert. She is the author of the best-selling book, Let Your Heart Out. She's podcast host of two shows, The Dr. Stephanie Show, and It's Not About the Food. She's founder of Wholehearted Integrative Psychiatry in Dripping Springs, Texas, which is just outside of Austin, and she's the creator of The Heart Method, a self-led therapy tool helping with emotional self-awareness and resiliency. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. I'm excited. This is many years in the making. I've wanted to have you on for a while just because I love your approach to psychiatry. I love your approach to mental health, to food, which we could get into that as well. Um, But yeah, I think we're in alignment on a lot of things. And so I'd love to just start off talking about how is integrative psychiatry different from traditional psychiatry? And how did you find yourself going that direction? Great question. Cause I shockingly get that a lot, I guess. I don't know why I'm shocked by that, but I think that word integrative maybe is just confusing Mm -hmm. for people. So I just think about it like you are integrating. So you are combining traditional psychiatry methods with more holistic or alternative or functional medicine. So I think it's a more holistic way of looking at mental health. And really, it kind of came down to my own personal experience. So actually, within my residency training, it was also a time when I was entering motherhood. So I had my first daughter right before I started my psychiatry residency. And it was a very challenging time for me. I had actually at the time I had a different platform where speaking more to moms because of my lived experience through postpartum depression at the time. And I just found personally traditional psychiatry, which was mainly medications and try a new med and try a new med. And it was not helpful for me. You know, I got pretty bad reactions. I had bad Mm -hmm. side effects. And so then it was like, just the only option given to me was try another medication. And, you know, there was, I don't think it's intentional, but there's a lot of gaslighting in the traditional psychiatry world that, you know, I I found it slowly over time, just kind of degrading who I was. So fast forward, I kind of learned within my residency training, actually a lot more integrative stuff without realizing it. So I trained at George Washington University and George Washington actually has a pretty robust integrative medicine, just overarching, not necessarily integrative psychiatry, but an integrative medicine program, which me and another colleague actually took some advanced electives in. So it was always something of interest to me and it naturally also kind of dovetailed with my personal experience. And so fast forward, actually my third pregnancy was a very traumatic pregnancy. It was a twin pregnancy. I lost a twin. Mm -hmm. It was very traumatic. Um, The delivery was a little traumatic and go figure. I had another round of postpartum depression, anxiety. I think just a lot of trauma healing that needed to happen after that pregnancy. It was also um, a time period. It was COVID was starting. My husband left active duty. We moved. My private practice had some changes. So it was a very challenging time for me. And I was still practicing more or less traditional psychiatry with kind of some more extensive lab work is kind of how it it started. And at the time I was like, I, this is just not working for me. I need to look at something else. And honestly, it started with lab work. 
I, I, I had not had some really decent lab work in several years, really, because no one really offered it to me in mainstream medicine. And so I never knew even enough to ask for that. And I found like some pretty significant deficiencies. My vitamin D had plummeted. My iron was super low. Um, something else. I think my folate was off. There was just multiple, I think, low hanging fruit is what I call it now. Like these kind of big rocks that, again, we can kind of get into like fun functional medicine. You know, those are all a bit of a symptom of some other issues going at play, but getting some of those up immediately made me feel better. And I didn't have to go back on antidepressants, which was amazing. Cause I didn't wow. like them. I didn't like them the first time. So that was really my entree that I need to be doing something different with how I'm treating patients. And it matched up a bit with what I was seeing in my own patients. You know, I saw patients that maybe some things initially worked, you know, more traditionally, meaning we tried a medication and maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. And I kind of just felt like, this feels kind of like voodoo medicine. <laughs> like I never really know what I'm doing. And that doesn't feel good that I'm the doctor in the room and people are wanting my expert opinion. And yet this is all I was really trained to do. And so I love how I practice now where I actually have a lot of confidence that what I do and how I do it is actually going to help people, not just let's just try and see, mm -hmm. which was kind of the previous approach, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, and that was my experience too. That's why I'm so passionate about sharing what I share now is because I, I felt like I was just kind of left hanging for many years. Like just take meds and sleep more. Like that was the only option offered for me in the late nineties, early two thousands. And unfortunately for a lot of people, treatments have not changed from that. Mm -hmm. And that's why what you're doing is so powerful because the research has changed plenty with what we know about mm -hmm. mental health. However, the treatment's got to catch up, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what do you see right now? The biggest trends in the world of mental health, what, what are people looking at as, as evidence-based solutions, approaches, what's being looked at? You know, I really do think even mainstream medicine and functional medicine, no matter whatever lens you're looking through, I do see the trend toward personalized approaches. Mm -hmm. Now, I think some lenses, you know, some faculties are doing that better than others, mm -hmm. but I do hear more and more everyone's like, we got to treat the patient like an individual. Everybody's different, you know, and so you're seeing, you know, more, um, you're seeing kind of from the private sector, like these lab companies pop up, you know, more direct to consumer, like order your own labs or um, the pharmacogenetic kind of side mm -hmm. of things. Like mm -hmm. let's get, you know, the personalized drug just for you. And I have my own opinion on that too. We can mm -hmm. talk about it if you want, but there's, there's limitations with any kind of lab testing, but I am, I am seeing a ton of labs being thrown at the consumer and kind of, <laughs> I think it that in and of itself can be a little overwhelming because where do I even start? And but I think it all comes under this big umbrella of personalized medicine. And I see that even within mental health too. Is there I I I think that that is becoming a big thing people are talking about. Yeah, I like that. I think that I mean, I just even think about the um the serotonin theory, right? Of back when I was struggling with depression, well, this was in the mid nineties. They're like, Hey, we've got Zoloft. That's pretty new. Right. And it's like, Oh, well, we're just going to keep serotonin around a little bit longer. Let your brain, you know, not reuptake it or whatever. Right. And, and that's going to work. And for some people that does work, but 
I, the research is still, the numbers are really variable on percentages mm -hmm. of how effective it actually is. And mm -hmm. so while that was so promising and I love the idea of it, like I love the idea of keeping a neurotransmitter around just a little bit longer so we can reap the benefits. There are just so many other factors at play for mm -hmm. people, right? So yeah. it's like, it's not always just the serotonin. Mm -hmm. It could be like you said earlier, vitamin D, it could be iron, mm -hmm. it could be folate and yeah. folate helps you to make serotonin. So, I mean, like there's just a lot mm -hmm. of different things going on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to that degree, you know, we've gone through like the, I mean, it used to be, I mean, you go, go back as far as history is, you know, it was gosh, people thought like mental illness was like demon influence. Then they thought yeah. mental illness was, you know, just for women and kind of this hysterical personality traits, you know, and then Freud came along and it was all about, you know, the unconscious and, you know, fast forward when we got a little bit more into the chemistry, of course you saw that the chemical imbalance theory, you know, that's right. kind of, and honestly, what some patients still think to this day, you know, mm -hmm. I think um, they've had the homocysteine theory, which mm -hmm. is kind of a little bit of an inflammation marker. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously, probably most of your listeners have heard sort of the, the gut brain, you know, mm -hmm. chemistry um, and that connection. And, you know, I don't, I honestly don't know. Right. I, I kind of feel like it is all over that, you know, to your original question, you know, where's the future? I don't think that there's really good consensus because mm. I, I think mental health, I think the problem is in our diagnostic criteria, frankly, and mm. anyone, I am so quick to validate the lived experience of a mental illness because it is like when you're struggling with depression, it is not just like I had a bad day, you know, it is right. really and truly something different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally I'm on board with everything you're saying. There are so many unknowns with what are these root causes and it, there's no one size fits all and all of that. And right now I want to take a second and pause and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Air Doctor. In case you didn't know, Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. And according to the EPA, indoor air is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, up to 100 times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally. That's a pretty big deal. I definitely have a struggle with seasonal allergies, but I'm super sensitive to mold and dust and the indoor air pollution probably more than the outdoor air pollution. It has been so, so beneficial to have an air purifier in my bedroom when I'm sleeping at night. Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mite that I'm allergic to, mold that I'm allergic to, and even bacteria and viruses. My lungs don't have to spend all of that time filtering out the nasty. Air Doctor does it for me. Air Doctor purifiers also feature whisper jet fans and they are 30% quieter than ordinary air purifiers. I love having my air doctor in my bedroom when I'm sleeping because I definitely have noticed a huge difference in waking up in the morning. I am less stuffy. I don't have the breathing issues that I had in the past because I had childhood asthma, because one of my children struggles with respiratory issues. It is so important that the air that we have in our house is clean air. 
I recently have received messages from podcast listeners just like you who are loving their new air doctor in their house and they are benefiting from cleaner air when they sleep at night too. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee so that if you don't love it, you can just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code SPARK and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O and use promo code SPARK. Now, Dr. Reinald, getting back to this topic of all the mental health treatment trends that we are seeing, can you share a little bit more about this whole very real struggle of someone who is really stuck in the pit of depression and they're wanting to find the one thing that's going to help them get out of it. I feel like that there's such a balance at play there. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit more and to where we are headed with these treatments? So in one sense, the functional medicine world kind of says, you know, this is just all symptoms and it's all a cause of something else. And, you know, you should be able to kind of fix your mindset and fix everything else and yada, yada, which I do love. Like I do love functional medicine. I do a lot of functional medicine in my practice at the same time. It is more than, it is more than that. Like anybody who's lived through it, it is a deep, deep soul level depressed state of being. I mean, it's, and so it is so invalidating, if not actually traumatic for patients to hear from a healthcare provider, like, oh, we just need to fix your gut. (laughs) You know, like when you are in it, Mm -hmm. that is not at all encouraging to someone. Mm -hmm. So there is a fine line between really getting connected to someone's lived experience and then helping them grow out of it, which takes a lot of small, tiny habit changes over time. And also, I mean, maybe even huge lifestyle changes, like leaving a job or leaving a relationship or finding social support systems or or what have you. Um, At the same time, I can't ever completely get on board with the gut brain connection as the sole one thing (laughs) that causes mental illness, because then there's people that I'll run gut health tests or other lab work and their stuff is, is great, but they are sitting in front of me completely miserable. So that is where this deeper psychological piece trauma comes huge into that. Um, your limiting beliefs, what you've developed over time, these narratives from your childhood, you know, that has a huge connection to how our brain operates and functions, but you're never going to see that on a lab test. So, you know, that's where it is definitely integrated. Like you have to be able to holistically look at all these different areas of your life and how they are encompassing into one person's suffering right now. Mm. I love that. It is so complex is is Mm -hmm. what it sounds like you're saying. I mean, because yes, I would love for there to be one lab that makes sense of everything. Just like I wanted one drug to take me out of my depression, right? Like, Oh, if that, if I could just take a pill and never have to go into a dark pit ever again, that would be amazing. But life just isn't like that. Mm -hmm. So what are some things just leading into, okay, so we know how complex it is. We know all the different factors what would be some things that you would say, all right, these are my non-negotiables to set up for mental health 
not even success. I don't really love that word, but just gradual healing throughout the new year. What, what could be great things to implement to ensure maybe some mental health resilience throughout the year? Great question. I kind of look at it categorically in different areas of your life. So the three big areas I think people need to really feel optimal is physical health, obviously. And so we can kind of talk about those basic habits that help your physical health, your physical energy level. You can even call it energy. Maybe, um, you need a sense of connection. You need a sense of connection to people. Um, and sometimes it's just very much perceived, you know, maybe people have tons of friends, but they don't feel connected. So whatever that means, um, you need a sense of purpose. So again, sometimes that's actually work. Sometimes it's just a deeper sense of purpose through your faith or your spiritual background. Mm-hmm. And then a fourth kind of bonus one is you need play. Gosh, even Freud, who's mm-hmm. a little cuckoo sometimes, even he talked about like the three things people need is work, play, and love. And it kind of is down to that. Like we need some level of fun in our lives. And so I'm sure when you're listening to this, you're like, mm, I'm kind of struggling in all four of those areas. So this is where I love incremental habit change. So when I look at the new year, the overarching umbrella to all four of these things is boundaries because boundaries gives us enough resilience. And I will actually say maybe safety, you know, and if you literally think about boundaries, like the fence around your home or, you know, putting a baby in a car seat as a boundary, you know, from harm. Boundaries protect us from the harm around us. They keep us safe. And most of the time we forget boundaries in adulthood, especially us moms, like we just forget it. Like we, our whole life becomes our kids, our whole life becomes our husband, even our career or some side hustle. And we forget that we need to put our oxygen mask on first. And so when you know, when I look at some of these categories, so I look at physical health, sleep, sleep is a non-negotiable. Like you Mm -hmm. have got to, and if you really have trouble sleeping, then that is where I would start because no drug, no functional medicine protocol, no great exercise routine. Nothing is going to work if you're getting like five hours interrupted sleep every other night, you know? Mm -hmm. So really prioritizing. And, you know, everyone's like talks about the miracle morning, which I do love. And I think that that's great. Like that you have some kind of rituals in the morning to kind of get your day started. I think that's huge. I like to talk about the evening though. Like you want to have a sanctuary in your evening so that you're setting your body up to actually get really good rest so that you actually want to wake up and have quiet time or workout time or whatever you want to do in the morning. So it's setting yourself a bedtime. If I would give you one thing, setting yourself a bedtime to optimize your sleep. Some other things for physical health, I think adequate water intake in a day is also huge. I think we just don't think about it. We can easily get distracted. We're running on caffeine or alcohol, and then you're further dehydrating yourself, which is bad for your brain and bad for your body. And just, you're not going to feel good. Um, Honestly, those two things alone start there. Like get consistent for a month of getting good sleep and adequate water in the day. Some of the other things physically might just naturally go along with that too. Um, A sense of connection, I think is really huge. I think social connection to people, finding adequate time to connect with your spouse or partner or having adequate time to connect with friends. um, I think that is so huge. 
because we're often just running ourselves ragged from everything else in our lives that we forget that we need connection too. you know, our kid, we, we set up play dates for our kids, but we never (laughs) set up playtime for ourselves, you know, and that's really important. I mean, there is a whole huge swath of research out there that suggests that loneliness or a perceived sense of lack of belonging Mm -hmm. has severe health consequences, not just doesn't make us feel good, but actually causes cardiac disease, strokes, other chronic ailments. And so feeling connected, feeling, um, just like it gives you that avenue for, for more fun often too. Um, and a sense of purpose, you know, and I think that can start for me personally, it starts with my faith because I know that my career may change throughout a lifetime, but I know that who I am, what I stand for, who I live my life for is going to be a constant in my life. And so finding that time to connect with God every day is a pretty big non-negotiable for me personally. And it really does make a difference. Just feeling like, even if I felt like I had a really junky day, I know that someone loves me (laughs) beyond Mm -hmm. this earthly world. Um, That's kind of some basic stuff. And I know it sounds super simple and you're like, oh, we've heard all this before, but are we doing them? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, some of these things, it's just, it's consistency. It's not, oh, I got really good sleep for one day, you know? Well, I'm sure you felt great the next day, but it's, it's really consistently making habits and setting those boundaries that sleep is important. So I'm going to leave a party early so that I can get to bed by a certain time every night. Or maybe I'm not having that second glass of alcohol because I know that's going to make me feel really crummy and give me bad sleep. You know, that's what I mean. Boundaries overlies all of this, that when you know what you need in order to be your best self and feel your best, it's so much easier setting those hard and fast standards for yourself as well. Yeah, I love that. And it does require some constant tweaking of going, okay, where am I in this area? I mean, there, you say that it's, oh yeah, things people always know, but oh my goodness, there are so many days that I'm like, have I had enough water today? And that's like the base, most basic of basic things that we should be focusing on. So I think that that's a good point. We forget about water. We forget mm-hmm. about the importance of sleep and we give our kids bedtime routines. Mm-hmm. And for us, we're just like, well, maybe I'll fall asleep on that next episode of whatever it is I'm watching on Netflix. Right. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't set up for a very calm mm-hmm. and safe healing environment. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. I think that that's really helpful. So tell me with sleep, you know, I would love to know, even just from a psychiatry perspective, so many people struggle with sleep and require or ask for even medication to help them get to sleep. What do you usually recommend for, because this time of year, I mean, it's, it's dark early. We've Mm. got these shorter days. It does lend toward a lot of seasonal blahs for people. And I'm always prone to them always. Mm. So I will do whatever I can to get out of the pit, but sleep can be hard too. Even though we are exhausted, we struggle to get to sleep. What, where do you usually turn with that? Uh, Sleep is a holistic thing. Like it is not just, it's not just chemistry. It's not just hormones. It's not just lifestyle. It's not just technology. I mean, there's Mm. all, I mean, sleep could be an entire episode in and of itself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I will say something I always tell my patients, sleep hygiene starts in the morning. So what I will say an easy, super easy thing to start is go to sleep at the same time every day, 
wake up at the same time every day. Even if you are not right now able to do that, like set it into your schedule. So if you want to go to bed by 10 PM every day, you're in your bed by about nine 30. Yeah. And if you want to wake up by 6 AM every day, you're waking up at 6 AM or like you're setting your alarm to wake up every day. You're not going back to sleep. You're not sleeping in some days. Like that is the one really rigid thing that it, I promise you it will change your life. And that means weekends, you wake up the same time, go to sleep the same time. Um, mm-hmm. There, there's huge research about this, that when you are off, even by one hour, like say you're used to staying up late, going to, you know, waking up late on the weekends, it really does have physical health consequences to you. So, and I know it's hard, but you'll start to just kind of crave that routine, or at least I do. Um, but when I say sleep hygiene starts in the morning, I am a huge advocate of light therapy. So the winter tends to be a little bit, I mean, ironically, a little bit better because it's lighter earlier in the day. And so even if you walk outside and want to drink your coffee, drink your tea, or just some hot water in the morning, get some light really within an hour of waking up. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty critical to kind of start up your body, start up that, you know, circadian rhythm for the day. If you don't have that, or that's just never going to be a part of your routine, I love light boxes. Um, make sure they have 10,000 lux at least, if not more, um, and just set it up like on your vanity. If you're getting ready in the morning, or even when you're eating breakfast, like put it in your kitchen, um, you don't have to be staring at it. In fact, you probably shouldn't be, but um, that can be immensely helpful for people. Even people who get outside sunlight also like a light box, but that does a lot chemically for your body to kind of help restart that circadian rhythm every day. Um, the other thing is really keeping to a food schedule. And I say this Mm. mindfully knowing that some people are going to hear this like a rule, but if you're really trying to correct your sleep, you want to be eating at the, about the same intervals every day. So Mm. specifically the first meal of the day and the last meal of the day, because what happens is there's a gene in every cell of your body called the clock gene. Mm. It's specifically active in your liver. Yeah. The clock gene, go figure. What does it do? It sets our (laughs) clock for us. So it's it's, it sets up your liver to kind of know you're awake, which is why we shouldn't really be eating in the middle of the night, because then that's kind of priming your liver that you're awake. But say you're eating at 8am every morning, that's a good rhythm to get into. So I, I like regular eating windows. I know there's whole talk about fasting and, you know, et cetera. If you're trying to fix your sleep, eat at regular eating windows and your last meal of the day, give yourself enough time to actually digest that food as best as possible before sleep. So that does usually mean a couple hours before you're wanting to go to sleep. Um, and that's just how your body works. Like that's because otherwise you eat like this huge, heavy holiday meal. And then you're trying to immediately go to sleep. Mm, You might be sleepy, but you're going to wake up probably in a couple hours after that, because based on your hormones and your insulin regulation, your body's going to think it needs another meal. So it's not really calming down for the day. Um, The other thing is getting optimal movement throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So preferably kind of earlier in the day, because again, you're trying to prime your body that it's actually awake. And sometimes in our modern culture, we don't have much activity level difference between the time we're trying to go to sleep and the time that we woke up in the day. I mean, I I myself, you know, I 
I sit at my work. So, you know, there are some days that I'm less active and I can feel it because those are usually the days when at nighttime, even though I am exhausted, I'm kind of ruminating. Like my brain is still active because I didn't really get enough physical movement during the day. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be able to give your body, and I'm not talking about like some crazy hit workout. I'm just talking about like walking, standing, doing some household chores, playing with your kids, you know, walking to a neighbor's house, like just literally being on your feet, moving your body. Um, that again, it's going to tell your body I'm awake. Um, and the last thing actually people don't talk about enough is mental stimulation throughout the day. So I hear from patients who maybe they have a really boring job or maybe they're like stay at home mom. And so it's like a different kind of mental stimulation and they're not really ever stimulating their brain. Well, sleep a lot of research suggests that sleep is really mainly for our brain and secondarily for our body. So if our brain was never really awake during the day, it's going to be hard to actually calm that down mm -hmm. at nighttime. So say you have a day that you know is like not a particularly mentally taxing day. This is where I really like brain puzzles or like Sudoku or crossword or even like apps on your phone that give you like little brain games, things like that. Something that's more active with your brain than passive. So passive is like watching a TV show. That's your brain is not needing to think or problem solve for that. Now, reading a book is a little more active because you're needing to oh, I'm thinking about the next chapter. I'm reading the page. I I'm having to think through that problem. Those are things that are a little different. Even coloring, like adult coloring books, that's more active. You want to give your brain enough active pro problem solving throughout the day, again, because you want to prime your body that it's awake so that when you're trying to go to sleep, it's a natural taper off. That was maybe way more than you wanted to hear about sleep. No, that was amazing um, and super helpful because I think all of those things are great mental health regulation tools too, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think about the time, my brain, I'm, I don't know, I've never been diagnosed with ADHD, but nowadays I'm like, with all the information out there, I'm like, maybe that was the thing. That was the one missing piece because I'm always seeking the next dopamine hit. I am a dopamine junkie for sure. And so movement for me, it, it's like my body will align with my brain. And mm. for forever, I was, you know, a cardio person, right? Because running gave me that, that high, which now I've totally switched because hormones and, and just not wanting to stress my body out too much. But yeah, I, I just a walk does so mm -hmm. much for me to regulate me. And thinking about this mental stimulation, I binge read fiction all mm -hmm. the time with really engaging stories because it's, I'm looking for that hit. I'm looking mm -hmm. for that thing that's going to get my brain. I, I don't know what it is exactly. I, I would love to know. I'll just sit and diagnose myself later, but um, yeah, like I just, I think that everything that you're saying, I think we have a lot of people. I know a lot of listeners of this show are also dopamine junkies and looking for mm -hmm. a hit, looking for something interesting and engaging during the day. And I think it's interesting that if we're not engaged enough during the, during the day, the impact on our brain when we're sleeping. I've never mm -hmm. thought about that before. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that if we are not engaging our brain and body enough during the day, what part of the sleep process are, are we looking to support? I think probably predominantly it's hardest to wind down. So if you're someone who just has a really hard time actually getting to sleep, 
these kind of tips are going to help the most. But if admittedly, if you're also someone say who you go to sleep fine, cause you're, you crash, you're exhausted, but you wake up after four hours and then you can't go back to sleep again, something's happening where your body is still on kind of high alert because it never really had the high alert during the day, you know? So it's your body mm. likes cycles, right? Like everything, everything in our world is based on a rhythm. There's, there's seasons to our climate. There's, there's cycles to even our menstrual cycle. There's, you know, um, I mean, birthing, like childhood milestones, everything is based on kind of a cycle and its own rhythm. Your body has its own circadian rhythm Mm -hmm. and you need to honor that rhythm, that the rhythm is not a flat line. The rhythm is variety, which means you are supposed, even based on a cortisol curve, you should have more energy at the beginning of your day and it slowly kind of tapers out throughout the day. Now, if you're struggling with some of these areas and just your overall energy level, this is an area for improvement, you know, whether through lifestyle or maybe to really get some solid detailed labs and look at what's actually going on with the cortisol curve or what's going on with your hormones during the day. Um, but some of that you can even fix with just some simple lifestyle changes too. Um, gosh, it was amazing. Even just recently random pro tip because I, myself was kind of having this like afternoon slump. Like I noticed when I picked my kids up from school, I literally could just lay in bed and go to sleep. Um, and my baby at the time of this recording is 18 months. So I'm still in this, like, and he was my fourth and I am Mm -hmm. older. And so I have been on my own healing journey kind of the last year to two years, just because it's, it's been a little harder recovery postpartum physically, interestingly enough, mentally, I felt the best, but physically I'm Mm -hmm. like, I just know there's something kind of off. One thing I did super simple change. I do not have caffeine until later in the day. Mm-hmm. if at all that day. So I don't start my morning. Like I used to, like most people kind of have my coffee, like first thing in the morning, sometimes even on an empty stomach. And actually it was an accidental thing. Um, but we ran out of coffee and my husband's not a coffee drinker. And it was like this week accident that actually tr- turned out to be really life-changing for me because I didn't have caffeine. So I had to actually be in my office, which I don't get to my office till about nine or 10. And I would have I would have it then. And that for me, it was, I don't know why that helped because I had a really good breakfast in the morning. I woke up. Mm -hmm. And so I had really been awake for maybe three or four hours already. So I wasn't getting this peak and crash of cortisol that I realized. Um, So, you know, it's an example. I'm not giving this prescription to all listeners, but it's an example that sometimes there's these really small, subtle changes that it doesn't like, I think we just have in our brain, you know, come the new year, we have to change everything to change our lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that's changed a little bit because with best-selling books like Atomic Habits and Tiny Habits and all these great new ways of thinking about it. And I'll still tell you, I think it's human nature. We just want to make these big changes because we want, (laughs) it's like, we want to change our, like when we have finally made the decision that we want to change something, we want that change to come to us immediately, whether it's the dopamine hit or instant gratification, or just our culture that is so much faster paced than it ever was before. We have no patience as a culture, but I will tell you it is harming us because how many times do we just 
we go out and we're like, okay, I'm going to eat clean. I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to drink all my water. I'm going to get good sleep. And it's like, you've made like 10 zillion new habits for yourself. And maybe you do, maybe you do that for a week, if that, and you've burned out and then you just go back. So I'm like, let's be curious, lead Mm -hmm. with curiosity. What is, and may almost gamify it for yourself so that you can kind of make it almost a dopamine experience already. Like what is the smallest thing I can change? Like what is so stupid, simple, like for me, okay, I'm not going to drink coffee until I get to my office. It sounds super easy. Actually, it's kind of challenging because now once you have caffeine in your house, you're like, oh, I could have this earlier, but, (laughs) um, but you start with something really small. It gives you some momentum and I call it kind of the snowball effect. Like the hardest thing is to get that snowball rolling. Once it starts rolling, you're going to pick up snow along the way. Like you pick up this momentum and it becomes so much easier even six months from now to make some of those big changes. But starting off the bat like that, that is, it's never, it's never going to be sustainable for anybody. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that about coffee. That is, that's actually been a game changer for me as well. I stopped drinking it first thing. And now I kind of wait till after I've eaten till it's like my day has started Mm -hmm. and it's more of a mental alertness tool than Mm -hmm. like a, Oh, it's this thing that I do just because it's there. And I do it first thing. And that actually can increase anxiety for a lot of people. Yes. I noticed that for myself mm -hmm, too. Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. So I love, I love that you mentioned that because that is a small hack that people Mm -hmm. could do to, instead of, because we do it just, and there's so many things, right. That we do just out of habit Mm -hmm. and not necessarily because we have a reason for them, but Mm -hmm. just because it's just how it is. And even going back to the eating, I think about, I've had the most erratic eating habits, maybe because of the dopamine issue that I Mm -hmm. potentially have diagnosed myself with. Um, but yeah, it's like, I will just kind of go with the flow. Like I'll Mm -hmm. just, if I'm in work mode, I'm working, working, working. I'm not paying attention to hunger signals because I am doing whatever Mm -hmm. it is that I'm super into at the moment. And then the hunger hits and then it's extreme. And then it's like, I got to eat everything because I didn't realize how hungry I was. Well then it, so it's like, there's just this erratic Mm -hmm. pattern, which I think a lot of women get into, especially when we've got young kids and we're trying to keep them all fed and healthy and nourished. And so just that eating clock that you mentioned, I think that that's important because I know for me and the clients that I see, and probably true for you, most of the people I see are not eating enough. It's not an Mm -hmm. issue of people eating too much. It's they're not eating enough and they're not getting a lot of nutrient density in their food. Mm -hmm. So what do you want to get into that food conversation real fast? (laughs) Yeah. Well, gosh, I've been on the pendulum. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. really quick, 30 seconds. I grew up in very aesthetic sport. I was a competitive gymnast in childhood. It based on some very, you know, well-intentioned coaches comments spurred some limiting beliefs, which spurred some horrible feelings about my body, which then once my body was changing in puberty, I went on my first diet, which for me, not for everybody, but diets are a leading cause of eating disorders. And it was for me, it turned into a full-blown case of bulimia within six months. And I struggled for the next six years of my life. So I, in kind of finally an effort to come out of my eating disorder years later, found intuitive eating, mindful eating, whatever you want to call it. I honestly just thought it was the Holy grail. This is amazing. Like, and really, and truly, I still credit it with fully healing my eating disorder. Mm. Um, because it really took me kind of swinging the other pendulum, so to speak. Um, 
But the one tenet of intuitive eating that a lot of times gets overlooked is the gentle nutrition piece. Mm -hmm. And it does come back to that. And that's the 10th tenet. The last tenet of intuitive eating is gentle nutrition. And even from the very first original edition of intuitive eating, the book talks about a protein, carb, and fat, you know, balanced eating, eating at regular times throughout the day, like all these very common sense kind of approaches to eating. And yet somehow I think in the public facing persona of intuitive eating, it, that got missed and it became a lot more social justice oriented and some Mm -hmm. other things that just weren't fully aligned with who I was. So I had stepped away and interesting enough. So then the last couple of years kind of trying to heal physically. Um, and I had never tracked my food. So again, there's kind of these, it's like in every pendulum swing, there's these unspoken rules, right? So in intuitive eating, it's like, you can't ever track your food again, or you're on a diet. Mm -hmm. And if you're on a diet, you're going to get an eating disorder again. And so I always had this, okay, I can't do these things anymore. Well, I, but I realized for myself, I had such low energy. It was, it felt more than postpartum, you know, cause mm-hmm. by, by this time my baby was sleeping, I was no longer breastfeeding and I still just couldn't get my mojo back. I was like, I have no energy. And so I had my labs done again, which there were some thing, a couple things that were off, but I also started tracking my food, honestly, out of curiosity. I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to mm-hmm. diet or limit myself. I was just like, maybe I can learn something from this. Again, if you hear nothing else from me, hear this lead with curiosity. If you're trying to figure something else out for, for your brain or your body, or even your relationships or something, just lead with curiosity. Don't take any one expert's opinion. Just try to learn more about the problem because sometimes when you're learning more about the problem, you see the solution clearer. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I was like, I just need to track and just kind of see what's going on. And I found pretty quickly, I was not eating enough. I mean, I was eating, I'm I'm not going to name calories, but it was not really appropriate for someone who was, who had, who's still trying to heal postpartum wanting more energy. And so I just started tracking for a couple of weeks to actually make sure I was eating more regularly, like actually eating at good solid intervals throughout the day and really hearty meals, you know, like a good protein and good carb, good fat. I mean, within two weeks I felt better. And yeah, I mean, it that and sleep and, you know, taking some more vitamins to help too. But again, sometimes it's these really simple things. It's like eat more food, delay your caffeine, get good sleep every night and move throughout the day. I I mean, it does not need to be, some of those things are life-changing, but it doesn't need to be what we think is life-changing, like an Orange Theory membership for six months and, you know. Um, that's what we want though. Cause that feels like the thing that's going to work. <laughs> I know, but you know, again, lead with curiosity. What is it about an orange theory? Is it the sense of belonging? Is it the people? Maybe mm-hmm. that's not bad for you then. Maybe you do need that sense of camaraderie around health, or you need mm-hmm. more of a community aspect, or maybe it's the achievement piece. You know, sometimes people who join like CrossFit, they love like achieving something. Mm-hmm. So maybe you need a goal. Maybe it's like to run a marathon or to run a 5k and something, you know, so, like it's kind of around like your personality. And this is where, you know, coming full circle, like this is integrative psychiatry, like yeah. understanding personality dynamics, along with your chemistry, along with functional medicine, along with your genetics, along with your season of life, like just honoring where you're at. I mean, I know for me, I'm not going to run a marathon anytime soon. 
but I have an 18 month old and I have four children. Like it's not going to happen. But if you're like 22 and you've never done it and that's exciting and it's, it doesn't feel like a drudge, who am I to say that 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 is disordered? I mean, maybe training for a marathon is the healthiest thing you can do for yourself, but it's so independent to you and who you are, what you want out of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I got disillusioned. I was so into, I love, I still love the book health at every size. I think it's incredible. There's some great research in there, uh, but great I got evidence. really into that. Same with intuitive eating, read the book mm-hmm. multiple times. I just got very disillusioned with the way it was being presented and mm-hmm. the selective, almost like cherry picking that was happening. And so mm-hmm. it was hard for me because I also, while I have a lifetime of erratic behaviors with food, just looking for the dopamine, I do believe that one of my first manic episodes was caused by a very low calorie diet, which I Interesting. was, and I was put on Zoloft, gained 25 pounds within a year. I was 16, you know, that was pretty awful when you're that young, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. And just this whole, like insatiable need for food that can also happen with those medications, but Mm -hmm. also not really even feeling that much better. I mean, there's a lot going on. So I got on this diet, dropped my calories. Well, goodness, wouldn't you know that probably the stress hormones that were induced from that shot me way up partnered with the Zola. I mean, there's so much going on, but I do attribute my first manic episode to being caused by extreme caloric deprivation. Mm. And so I'm really sensitive from a mental health perspective for anybody who's doing some of these and they're still out there. And even, you know, I'm watching all the research on the new um, shots that everybody's doing the oh, yeah. Zimbic mm-hmm. and the, you know, semaglutide, all of those things. That's fascinating as well, because mm-hmm. people are losing weight so rapidly. I'm just wondering what's happening mm-hmm. at the brain mm-hmm. level when food is restricted that much. So I'm sensitive mm-hmm. to that as well, but I do. Yeah. To your point, sometimes we do need to track to see if we're eating enough mm-hmm. because how are we going to get the nutrients that we need to function our best mm-hmm. if we're not getting food. <laughs> like yeah. it just doesn't make, so I love the idea of an mm-hmm. eating clock, the way you describe that. I think that that's really helpful. And then the last thing I'm going to ask my favorite question to ask, you know, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? I just want to tell you, it's okay to break the rules. I think sometimes whether we created our own rules or, and I think this comes up the beginning of the year or anytime that you consider the beginning of the year, when you're trying to start that new diet or start that new health plan or start a new habit change. And if you're like me, you've created the next six months of your life out based around this one thing that you're going to change, but then you get a couple of days in and you just realize it's not working. And then we start to not really honor where we're at. It's okay to break those rules. It's okay to color outside the lines, find your own path, you know? And that's, I think it's uncomfortable because we feel this sense of rejection by whatever person, influencer, or even just community that told us to do things a certain way. And, um, and I have felt it, you know, I was really deep entrenched in the health at every size intuitive eating world. And I, I kind of had to leave it completely because I I couldn't really live on the fringe anymore. And it's not a good feeling to kind of feel almost, almost rejected by a whole community group, even when it's online and it's not really real, but it feels that way. And so even more pronounced, if it's something in your in-person community, even within your marriage or your family, you know, but it is okay because if something's not working, life is too short, like make it work for you and break the rules sometimes. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And it goes back to that beginning piece, the individualization. So where can people learn more about you? Listen to your podcast. Where, where can we send our listeners? Probably my website, stephanierinoldmd.com is the best place to find all of my good stuff. Um, if you're interested in working with me, if you even just want to order labs or something, you can go to wholeheartedpsychiatry.com. Um, my Instagram, stephanierinoldmd, if you want to chat more directly too. And do you meet with virtual patients? I do. I meet with virtual patients throughout Texas. Some people outside of Texas will use me for like a one-off consultation or a coaching call. If you want a second opinion on lab work or diagnosis, something like that. Um, and I'm happy to help as well. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. Like I said, this was years in the making. So I'm so glad that we were able to get this done. So thanks again for being part of the show. Thank you so much, Erin. Thanks. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.